Turn in your Bibles, please, to Numbers chapter 1. We're at the the very beginning of a a new series, um, sermon series in the book of Numbers, obviously. This is our third sermon. I think there are 35 or 36 chapters in the book of Numbers. Um, We'll see. It's a a bit of a challenge. I'm excited. It's an interesting book. Um, Tonight our passage will be uh, verse 47 through uh, 54. Let's look at that. Hear the holy word of our holy and perfect God. The Levites, however, were not numbered among them by their father's tribe, for the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor shall you take their census among the sons of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings, over all the belongings that belongs to it. They shall carry the tabernacle, all its furnishings. They shall take care of it. They shall also camp around the tabernacle. So when the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. When the tabernacle encamps, the Levites shall set it up. But the layman who comes near shall be put to death. The sons of Israel shall camp, each man by his own camp, each man by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the sons of Israel did, according to all which the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is a a light and a lamp unto our path. Even things which seem detailed and perplexing, oh God, you have put here for our instruction. There is a purpose, a divine purpose. And we know, we know the overarching purpose of your word, uh, Lord God, is to bring all of your elect people to Christ and to build us up into our holy image. And so I pray that you would give me um, insight, O oh God, tonight in the proclamation of this portion of your word, and that all of us, that you would, um, you would increase our faith, that we would hear the very words of God, we would understand them, love them, and be changed accordingly, that we, we would be markedly changed uh, by, um, by your word. Into the image of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. So the, the context of this particular section of scripture, actually all of chapter one, is fairly straightforward. Chapter one is a military census. We, we spoke last week on the business of conscription, which conscription is um, obligatory service. And then God called out from Israel certain men, and they were men. Uh, He exempted women and children. And I think it was um, from age 20 upward, uh, the men. I think there's probably an upper age limit later in another place as far as the, 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 um, uh, the price of redemption. I think it was 20 to 60. But we know clearly that there's this lower limit. So you have... If you've read all of chapter nine, uh, 1, essentially what's going on is God is telling the people they're, they're right at year, uh, what is it, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, somewhere there about, they're, they're at year 2 of liberation from slavery. And the book of Numbers runs from year 2 right to the very end of their 40-year sojourn. They're just east of the Jordan River, 
as they as they are about to enter into the promised land. That's the book of Numbers. And so they've been 430 years as slaves. God has liberated them, two years in the wilderness. And God here tells them in chapter 1 and following, I want you to make preparation. I mentioned that God is an orderly God. Um, I, am a, I am kind of like a monk. Um, my wife, who I love madly, next to Christ, she's my greatest gift. She's a messy Marvin. She's less of a messy Marvin, but I am monk. So I am exceedingly or- orderly. Our, our God is a very orderly God. And what our God is telling his people here is I want you to make preparation and particularly with the middle military senses, I want you to prepare for two things. One, to, uh, to wander through the wilderness. And they're actually not wandering. It appears wandering. But you remember the pillar of uh, smoke by day and fire by night. God takes them in a roundabout way. But he does so, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, because he's trying to humble them. They didn't really want to take the promised land, which should have taken them 11, years walk, 11 days walk. So God said, instead of the 11 days, you're going to take 40 years. And then that military-aged man that didn't want to fight when they got into the promised land, they're going to go away. And then I'll raise up the next generation that will, will obey me. So the 11 days takes 40 years. But God takes them round and around and around and around to, to know what's in their heart, to humble them so that they would rely upon him, that their, their shoes wouldn't wear out, their clothes wouldn't wear out. He would feed them manna from heaven which Jesus says, I am the manna from heaven, John 6. So God, God leads them around. It looks aimlessly, but aimless, but it's not. He takes them through the wilderness, and then he's bringing them to a, a point, which is to the promised land. And we said last week that this promised land is typological of the heavenly promised land. I promise I'm not being fast and loose. This is a, a Hebrews chapter 11. All of the Old Testament patriarchs knew that they, the, the patch of, 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 of land was ultimately going to be fulfilled in what John Bunyan would say is the celestial city. So, but that's the picture. God frees us from sin and slavery, Egypt. He takes us in the wilderness, which the Bible says is howling wilderness. I guess I show, I'm showing my eschatological cards. And then he takes us home. And then home is a picture of where God will dwell with his people. It's a, a renovated it's a renovated Eden. You even have the river, the water of life. You, you have the, the tree of life. It's the restoration of Eden, where God and his people will dwell together. And as our brother mentioned this morning from Genesis, we'll walk with God in the cool of the day. But God wants his people to prepare. That's what this chapter is, preparation. We, we are, I hate to say it, but we're Calvinists. We believe in the sovereignty of God. I mean, I don't hate to say that. I I have a a tattoo of Calvin on my chest. I'm only kidding. As Calvinists, we believe that God governs everything according to the counsel of his own will, because the Bible says it, Ephesians 1, uh, 11. And and God is working out his purpose. But when we see God saying, I want you to prepare, this is his making use of secondary means. We've talked about this a lot. Sometimes people on the Arminian side get confused about us Christians on the Calvinist side. Say, y'all just believe God elects and then willy-nilly he doesn't use means. That's not true. I don't know any Calvinist that believe. I don't believe that. We have a whole chapter, chapter 5 in our confession on ordinary government, ordinary providence. So when God says, I'm going to give you the promised land, now prepare to take the promised land. So it's, he's the primary mover, the primary cause, but he uses the secondary means. So this whole section is, I want you to prepare, 
with this military to fight your way through the wilderness, which I think, I, I think there's lots of spiritual applications for that. Um, I'm not post-millennial in my outlook. Um, I am exceedingly optimistic for, for our ultimate outlook, uh, outlook. Men will study war no more and no one will hurt in the eternal estate. But up until the, the, that time, we have the world of the flesh and the devil. So God says to his people, I want you to prepare to meet enemies in the wilderness, have a military, defensive wars. And then the preparation also is to prepare to go into the promised land because you, you are going to have the promised land. I'm going to give it to you, but you're going to fight for it. And it takes Joshua seven years. and He's not utterly successful. So this is preparation. That, that, that's this. All of that teaches us a very, um, it's a basic principle that you, you've heard people share Christ this way. Come to Christ and everything will be wonderful. Well, in one sense, that's totally true. If you come to Christ, savingly, you believe in him, everything is wonderful. You've passed from death and darkness to light and life. You have the love of the Father, the prayers and the blood of Christ, the intercession and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the saints. It's wonderful. But in another sense, when you come to Christ, the war has just begun in earnest. Isn't that right? And so we have real enemies. And this teaches us that our enemies, spiritually speaking, are our enemies because they're enemies of our God. I mentioned a person running for president who's of another religion, and he, he says generically, God, God, God. And even Christians are going, Amen, Amen. I'm like, He doesn't worship the God of the Bible. Don't say Amen to that. He's a false God. So when we are talking about enemies of God's people, they're our enemies because we are friends and children and lovers of God. They don't love us because they don't love our God. I'm not talking about when Christians are being silly or obnoxious. That's another thing. So we have the preparation for action. And what our section of Scripture represents is God calls out an exemption from military conscription. We've already said that he's exempted women, and um, males under 20 years old. And of course, if you're old and infirmed, you can't fight anyways. So he's already had a certain exemption, but what we're looking at here is he is calling out um, Levites. Um, He is exempting them from conscription in the army. So these Levites, who are Israelites, are separated from their brothers, not to be conscripted into the warrior class, the fighting class of people. Uh, and these are the, the men that he will have as his priestly ministers. So, so, and I want to be careful when I say that. When we say that God exempts these Levites from warrior service, it's not that he exempts them from the battles. They're not exempted from going to war. They're actually going to war with their fellow brothers, who's, I, I prayed it, I think I did, the distribution of labor, um, I don't want to get sidetracked on the whole business of the nuclear family, being the mother, the father, the children, the traditional family. Maybe, maybe I will. So I was raised in a traditionalist home. My wife, even as a Hindu, was raised in a traditionalist home. And so there was mom dad. My mother was home with the kids. My dad went to work in the neighborhood I lived. All the women were home with the kids. And usually there were homes without even a car, but... They only had one car if they had a car. And the dads went to work. And you think, well, that's kind of archaic. Well, 
there's a distribution of labor. And so now with moderns, and my kids are grown and all of those things, you say, well, the, the, the wife is working, everybody's working, and this and that, the distribution of labor is thrown off. Who will raise the kids? Who will watch the kids? I don't know. You have to buy this and you have to pay for this. And so here what we're seeing with the exemption of the Levites from the warrior service is that he's exempting them from one service to dedicate them to another service. Does that make sense? So if you say, well, pastor, I don't want my wife to stay at home. I want her to make a million bucks so I can make banana bread. Someone's going to have to watch the house. Someone's going to have to keep up. Someone's going to have to watch the children. And what we see is that God is orderly and he is distributing labor among his people as he sees fits. But no one's exempt from service. So no one's sitting home here playing on the computer. Everyone has a job. And, and, and the, the, the priestly class, um, they actually go out to war. We've seen this previously with the people of God. And they have a task. Uh, they're inquiring of the Lord. They bring the ark. They're inquiring of the Lord. And he even has a military, shall we go up? Shall we attack? Shall this be the course of attack? They're waiting for the Lord's answer. I, the closest I would come, I think this is true. If you're a military, you can correct me later. I think I'm correct. My son's military, and I've asked him this before. It's like the modern military. I believe in the United States military, the chaplains don't carry weapons. Am I right in that? You're not allowed to carry a weapon as a chaplain. And so as a modern chaplain, I suppose, if you were to go out to battle, you would go with the men. And your service would be a spiritual service. You wouldn't be actively fighting the physical battle. You'd be fighting another kind of battle. So you're there for the spiritual well-being of the warrior class. Does that make sense? And so you have God makes this distribution of labor. He has the, the class of young men who are going to fight Israel's battles. And let's say that he has these folks for the physical, bodily, temporal well-being of his people. That's the warrior class. And then with this priestly class, this priestly set of servants... They are for the spiritual or the soulish well-being of God's people. I believe the dichotomousness of human beings, that we have a material part and an immaterial part. We'll save the trichotomous debate for another day. But whatever it is, we have an immaterial and a material. God provides for both. He provides the military to keep his people safe physically, and then he provides for the soulish or the spiritual needs by this group of people. So an army to protect the body and an army, as it were, to protect the soul. That makes sense. That's what's going on. The exemption of priestly ministers, and then he does include them, but they have a different service. So what I want to look at for the remainder of the sermon, what's my title? A Dedicated Priestly Ministry. And I want to just unpack the notion that God tells his people, I want a dedicated priestly ministry. I grew up in New England, Massachusetts, and it was a, a town which had a lot of Jewish folks, like 20%, very large percent. And there would be kids with last names, Cohen. And I think, I think literally in Hebrew it would be Kohen, but we would pronounce it Cohen. That's priest. So a person who has the last name Cohen, that means priest. So priest in Hebrew is 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 a Cohen. I believe if you know Greek, I know baby Greek. Baby, 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 baby Greek. I think Greek, uh, uh, priest in Greek is uh, Hyrus. 
And the notion of a priest is, let's just kind of just begin logically what this priestly class is and where they come from and what they do. A priest is a person who has been a biblical priest, separated by God, so called by God, consecrated by God for divine service, which is what this is. All service for the believer is divine service. I don't believe secular sacred. Um, I don't use the term laity, uh, clergy either. Everything for the believer is sacred, everything. If you're folding laundry as a believer, I think Martin Luther talked about this. If you're folding laundry as a believer, you are to do it as unto the Lord. So I was a carpet cleaner. I, I, used, I drove a truck for many years. I was a laborer for many years. I made my living cleaning dog, whatever, unto the Lord. So everything is unto the Lord. So the priest, though, is dedicated for a particular aspect of service, which we would say is more directly religious. So for divine service. A prophet is God's appointed man who represents God to man, and particularly the word of God to man for the salvation of man. That's a prophet. But, but think of the idea of he is God's man to represent God, Two men. Now, with the priest, he's also God's chosen man, but he represents the people back to God. Prophet, God to the people. Priest, people to God. So he's a mediator. All, all of these folks, prophets and priests and kings, they're typological of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're pointing us to the person and the work of Jesus as our Savior. Jesus is the perfect prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Jesus is the perfect priest. Hebrews 2, Hebrews uh, uh, 4. um, And uh, Jesus is the perfect priest. And so these priests represent people to God. And what they represent is for the soulish or the sin needs, I would say, of man to God. And the two primary functions of these fellows why God says you're not going to fight one kind of war. You have other duties that I'm giving to you. And the duties of a priest primarily are two. Uh, They make sacrifice for sins, and they make intercession. I was raised a Roman Catholic, and I've said this many, many times. Probably I drive you nuts. My home church was St. Bartholomew's. If you open the door in the back and you look down the, the, the center aisle... In St. Bartholomew's, you're looking at an altar. They have the pulpit to the side. I would say even some Anglican churches do that. The architecture teaches something. Um, So in in a Roman Catholic church, you look straight down the middle, and there's an altar. And and then who stands behind the altar in a Roman Catholic? What do they call the Roman Catholic minister? Priest. And he's standing behind an altar. What do you do behind altars as a priest? You make sacrifice for sin, which is what the Mass is. I, I don't believe that the Mass is the re-sacrifice of Jesus. They do. I don't. That's why I'm a Protestant, among the grace of God. Um, but they make sacrifice for sins, and they make intercession for the sins of God's people. That's what these people do. So they are dedicated by God to do this kind of service. So they're representatives. They're a type of mediator. That's who they are. And so that's why God has separated them from the warrior class. 
Let's go back to the beginning of where we get these Levites from. Um, I've, I've said this also many times before. I, I, when I when I was converted and came out of the Catholicism, I went everywhere in the Christian Church, Baptist, Pentecostal Holiness, um, you name it, and, and here I am. And one of the things I love about the Baptist Church is they have sword drills. And I suppose Presbyterians do. Even our new magazine is essentially sword drills, the uh, newer horizons. And sword drills is a fancy way of saying you quiz your kids or your family, where is this in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? And so you're, you're to be proficient uh, with with the Bible. If I were to say to you, who are the patriarchs of the Old Testament church? Sword drill. Who are they? I would expect any Christian of any kind of stripe to say, well, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? We should be familiar at least with the basic content of the scripture, old and new. We, we uh, no extra charge for this, if we've been a Christian any length of time and we go to any kind of Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and, we don't, and, and we've been a Christian for a little bit and we still know this much after a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, shame on us. That's a Hebrews chapter 5. We should be people of the book. So, but, but I digress. So you have Abraham. Where did we get Abraham? What does the Bible say about Abraham? It's interesting because Levi is going to come from Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham, along with his father and his grandfather, Terah, worshipped false gods across the river. He was pagan as a post. Pagan as a post. He was a heathen. And God, Almighty God, called a pagan, Abram, out of paganism, Genesis chapter 11, calls him, gifts him with faith, and by by faith in the seminal preaching of the gospel... He's justified. Read Galatians chapter 3. Read Genesis chapter 15. So our father Abraham, in the faith, the prototypical believer, saved out of sin, justified by faith in the coming Messiah, and and he will have a child, Isaac. And Isaac means what? I think Isaac means he laughs. Why does he laugh? Because the angel of the Lord, who I think is the Lord, says to Abraham, this time when I come back next year, your wife's going to have a baby. I don't know how old she is. She's like 80 years old at the time. And she's in the tent hearing this. And what does she say? This is ridiculous. And she starts laughing. And then the angel of the Lord says, hey, why is your wife laughing? And then she goes, I didn't laugh. And so she names the boy Isaac. He's the son of promise. This is a Romans chapter 8 and 9. He's the son of the... Christ will come to him. But you have Isaac, you have Abraham, you have Isaac. And then Isaac... Isaac, does he marry Rebecca? Is it Rebecca? I think it's Rebecca. Yeah, he has Rebecca. And he has a twin boy. He has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name was what? He was a what? He was a deceiver. And so, but Jacob's elect. But elect doesn't mean you're sinless. And election doesn't mean you're justified. As an English Puritan, now some on the Dutch side, I think Abraham Kuyper believed in eternal justification which I really, 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 really don't like. John Gill, I don't mean to pick on your favorite guys, eternal justification, I really don't like that view. Um, Our view, Westminster Confession of Faith, is we're elected to be justified from the foundations of the earth, but justified in time, the moment we believe. It protects the preaching of the gospel, in my opinion. Elect doesn't mean you're justified or saved. Uh, It means that you'll be justified or saved. And God's only in the business of, of, of justifying and saving sinners, which Jacob was. 
And he was a, a master deceiver, elect, beloved, and will be justified and saved in time. But he needed to go to deception 10. He needed to go to class to teach him how ugly being a dece- deceiver is. And he met a master deceiver that took him to the woodshed. I think it was his uncle Laban, right? And then he, he does, this, this elect, beloved patriarch, he, he, marries, he marries Leah, um, and, and then he, he marries uh, Rachel, and then he takes the two maids as his concubines. So he's got four, four women. But he doesn't love Leah. And Leah has, what does she have, six boys? And we're told one girl, Dinah, I don't like the story of Dinah. I think she gets raped. The Shechem, and, uh, but, but, but the boys are this. So Jacob loved Rachel, but he didn't love Leah. I guess Rachel was better looking. The Bible says that Leah had weak eyes. I don't know what that means. Do guys even look at girls' eyes? I don't know. But she had weak eyes. But I guess Rachel was better looking, at least to Jacob. But she, uh, Leah has six boys. Reuben, Simeon, Levi is the third one. And then Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, and then the daughter. Well, how we get Leah is Leah knows she's unloved. Polygamy is a bad idea. I, we kicked a guy out of the OPC that one time wanted to be polygamous. I, I don't know. It, it, it's always a bad idea. Uh, read, what is it, Genesis chapter 4. Um, the, the game plan that God has for us is you marry one, you live with her, and then you die and go to heaven. It's meant to be for life. It's just be happy with the wife of your youth. Um, but, but Leah was unloved, and she knew she was unloved. And so God gives her this third boy, and it means, Levi means attached or something like joined or attached. You know what she's getting at? She's saying, now that I have this boy, now my husband will love me. Now my husband will be attached to me. Oh, does that break your heart? Here's this woman who is in loved by her husband, but who is she loved by? Her God. No, no, I'll, I'll, I will make application. Before you get married, life is awesome and easy, and marriage is going to be awesome and easy before you get married. After you get married, and I love marriage. I have a very, very high view of marriage. Marriage is hard plowing because we're sinners saved by grace, and we live in a sin-cursed world. And if you don't think marriage is hard plowing, it's because you're not married. And marriage is hard plowing. And so here we have a woman who's not loved by her husband, but God says, but you're loved by me. So if there is a husband or a wife who says, my husband or wife doesn't love me, what's my recourse? Pray, and your God loves you. And so he provides. He comes to the aid of the offended party, which I think is a principle that the scripture teaches us, and he opens the womb. So what have we learned thus far? This is where these fellows come from, the Levites, come from that third boy, from this, I mean, when we talk about dysfunctional home, show me in the Bible one functional home. The Bible is written about broken sinners that need salvation in Christ, but it's clearly dysfunctional. But what have we learned thus far about the priestly servants or ministers? They're children of Abraham, at least after the flesh, and that means they're Jews, they're members of Israel, they've descended from one of the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes, what does Jesus tell the woman at the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well? Salvation is of the Jews. It's of Israel. 
So the men that are to be God's priests are of Israel. It's very similar to the principle for the prophets. God says to to Moses in in Deuteronomy 18, I referenced it earlier, I'm going to take from among your brothers one like you to represent me as, as the final prophet, which will be Christ. But it's that idea of out from Israel, out from the brothers. He's not a stranger. He's a fellow member of of Israel, of the household of faith. And what that teaches us about the priestly class in their work, they are to have solidarity with the people of God and they are to have sympathy with the people of God because they are the people of God. So this is why you can't have a pagan. An unbeliever should not be a preacher. He doesn't know Christ. He doesn't love the people of Christ. He's not one with them. There's no solidarity. There's no... Could I find an unbeliever that is better at speaking than me? Sure, easily, easily done. I, my speech is not the best, easily done. But he's not one with the people of God. He's separated from the people of God. God says, I'm going to take one of your brothers and he's going to represent you as a representative sinner. Remember, sacrifice for sins, and then intercession for the continuous sins of God's people, he's going to do it. Because he's one of us. That's what we're being taught. So we have the priestly ministers are of Israel, the solidarity of the priest. I mentioned this. This is Hebrews 2 and 4. Ultimately, Christ fulfills this. They're inside the Bible calls. Is I refer to Israel as the church all the time because I'm a Reformed Presbyterian and I think the Bible calls us these, I know the Bible calls us in Galatians 3, 6, excuse me, uh, the Israel of God. We have diaspora, James 1. So we're given the names of Israel to the New Testament church, and that's why I use the New Testament church to Israel. And, um, but the notion is that these men are of the household of faith. And I want to underline of faith. These men should have been believers. Every, these men are going to speak to the people of God about God that every one of the priests should have known God. Um, You can't teach a person about God or Christ or the holy things of God unless you know them, unless you're a believer. So they're of Israel, the solidarity aspect, the sympathy aspect, but it shows us that these men should have been believers. This is why the the book of Hebrews, I, I hate to keep referring to that, but it exegetes a lot of what's going on in our section of the scriptures It says, beware of having an evil heart of unbelief, like the people back here. Um, These men should have been believers. And um, one of the other things we see, back to the reference of uh, Levi, it was God that looked at the mother Leah. He saw that she was unloved, and then the Bible says in Genesis chapter, I don't know, 38 or 39, God saw that she was unloved, so God opened her womb. The notion is Levi is a grace gift. That's who this boy is. So if we could apply that to the priestly class that descend from Levi, they're a gift from God. Who who, who said this to me? Someone said this to me this morning, that their wife is God's gift to them, but the specific woman to him, the specific husband, is a gift, a specific gift. And boy, howdy, I was like, I love to hear that. That's exactly right. 
Every husband should think of their wife, their particular, not just like the generic woman. Do you love? No, I, I love women. Like I just generally, I like benevolent love. But the specific wife, she, the specific woman, is God's specific gift for me, the specific man. That kind of gift. That's what the priests are. We we should think of Israel should have thought of these men. We pray all the time, 4th of July. Thank you, God, that we have a military class of people. I know it's a volunteer professional army. Thank God for them. We would be speaking Mandarin if we didn't have one because of the depravity of man or German uh, earlier. That's just how it is. If you think you're not going to have a professional military class, however that works, and you're, you, you think you're not going to have one, you will be speaking Mandarin in a week because of, of, of Romans chapter 3. Am I not right with that? I think I'm right with that. So we thank God for, for men that will serve. But we should thank God that God had pro, has provided for priests. Isn't that right? If we have people that care for our body, should we thank God for the people that care for our soul? That, 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 again, we're just looking at this topically. This is how the New Testament speaks of it. Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is a quote from, I want to say, uh, oh, I want to say Psalm 8, but it will come to me later. According to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And later, like in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, it said ministers are part of those gifts. Um, a godly mom is a minister because she tells you about Christ. A godly dad is, is a gift from God because he tells you about Christ and provides for you. A faithful minister, a f- faithful priest to talk about sin and holiness and God and Christ and heaven and hell, the truth is a gift. And um, as, as I mentioned, these men should have been sympathetic with the people. It, one of the things they should be sympathetic with we just briefly touched on their genealogy. Um, I know there are people that are keen to do genealogies. And you look and like, oh, my second cousin was King Frederick Ferdinand VI in Zimbabwe. And you're, you're finding all of these things. And look at all these cool things. And look at him. He was a multi-bazillionaire PhD. I never want to do my genealogy because I think my ancestors were like rowing a galley slave or something like that. And you think, when you look at the genealogy of these guys, what kind of people did they descend from? Train wrecks. The whole lot of them are train wrecks. They're saved train wrecks. They're they're progressively being sanctified train wrecks. You have four women. One's unloved. You take a couple side women as concubines. You're a deceiver. All of these things. They come from a line of sinners. I have said this a million times. This is my belief. You may differ with me, but I think I'm right. If you don't really, 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 really think you're a sinner, you can't be a Christian. Not a real one. Not a go-to-heaven Christian. I always get a little nervous when I hear, what about Lapsarianism? What about Calvin? What about Burkhoff? And I love those guys. I love them, love them, love them. I love my English Puritans. If I don't hear, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And people say, what about this and what about that? What about this? And look at how good I am. And ooh, oh no, oh no. 
if, if, if someone could show uh, other people what goes on in here, really, really, what would happen? None of us would be in this room together because we couldn't even look at each other in the face. This is a Romans 3. These guys know they're, they're, they're sinners and they descended from sinners. I'm not picking on our moms and our dads. I love my mom and dad. We're sinners. And these men, because they're sinners, every time they make a sacrifice, they're also making a sacrifice for themselves. That makes the best minister. You can't have a minister of Christ who doesn't think he needs Christ. How will he preach? You all this, you all that. You do this and you sin that. Don't you sin? What does Paul say? He starts off the ministries by saying, I'm the least of the apostles. How does he close his ministry? I'm the chief of what? Sinners. That's where it comes. When I went to seminary many years ago, and I remember saying to guys, hey, so when were you called to ministry? Well, I don't know if I was called to ministry. I like theology and I like studying you know, books and other things. Great. That's great. Don't get near anybody in the church. Don't just stay far away. Do Just sit in a room and read, I don't know, Charnock. You've got to know that you are a sinner, sinner. And Jesus loves to save and sanctify sinners for real. Well, you, you, you won't do any good. You'll, you do, God has no use for pride, uh, a proud Christian is an oxymoron and a proud minister. Ay, ay, ay. So Christ is the ultimate sympathetic high priest. God is the one that makes this separation of the priests. God does it. Now you want to say, why did God choose Levi? Why did God choose Levi? Does anybody know? You can tell me, even though it's Presbyterian. You can, if you know why God chose the descendants of Levi to be the priest class, you could yell it out. The Bible doesn't tell us. So Deuteronomy 29, 29. Hidden things belong to who? God. Revealed things belong to us and to our children. He doesn't tell us. There's tons of stuff that God doesn't tell us. The stuff that God tells us is plenty enough to keep us plenty busy. So when God says, I'm going to pick this class of people, Levites, only the Levites, what's the inclination of, 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 of our flesh? Well, uh, why can't I be a priest? Why can't women do this? I, just someone told me the other day, you know the person who used to go to your church, he never believed that you thought like what you said, that women shouldn't be preachers. She never believed that. I mean, I didn't write the Bible. I promise I didn't write the Bible. I mean, God says a woman shouldn't be the minister and teach guys. I mean, he's, she's got to be the husband of one wife. And I mean, she, I mean, the husband has to be the husband of one wife. So I didn't make it up. But our flesh comes along and says, I'm like, the Levites are making sacrifice. I can, you know, use a knife. And the Levites are making sacrifice. I can move my uh, intercession. I can move my lips. I'm just as qualified as them. What do you think about that? No. No. Why are they not qualified? Could a person not cut an animal's throat and pray as good as a Levite? Maybe, but they're not qualified. Why? Because God said so. I mean, I know my parents were not enlightened. I loved them madly. They ran the show. My dad and mom said, this is how it goes because we're the dad and mom and this is how it goes. <laughs> aye, aye. And God says, I want the Levites and only the Levites. And it uses the term for Gentile. If a stranger, if a stranger comes near, a non-Levite, and touches any 
parts of the temple, the tabernacle, the, tabernacle, the temple, the, the holy things, what happens to the stranger? Who's an Israelite? He's being treated like a Gentile, but he's not a Levite. It's a death penalty. This is Uzzah, uh, R.C. Sproul, who is, I mean, the guy's a genius. I couldn't even hold his shoes. He has a book, The Holiness of God. When I was a baby Christian, I went to an American Baptist church in New England, and they were teaching an Uzzah touching the ark and dying because he's not a Levite, like this. And I stood up, I'm a Christian, like a month. Being a typical knucklehead New Englander, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I can't, this must be one of the mistakes of the Old Testament. And the teacher's like, thank you very much for sharing. <laughs> Please sit down. And then I found, many years later, R.C. Sproul's book on the holiness of God. And he explained it. And I'm like, what a dope. I was embarrassed I ever stood up. He's not consecrated. The, the, the sin of man can never touch the holiness of God. Only these men. And so God has these people. He separates them according to his own divine will. It's because he says so. And our job is to say, I, I. Um, there to be also men, so no lady priests. I was just reading today on Pope Francis. Uh, Pope Francis. And, and then the potential of lady priests and... I don't believe in New Testament priests except Christ and the priesthood of believers. But only the men were to be the ministers. And they even had an age limit. I want to say when we come to, I don't know what it is, it's like number seven or eight, maybe eight. The age limit for the Levite males, were priests, was 20 to 50. And then even with the Levites, he had a subdivision of labor that only from one family of the Levites could be the, the high priest, which was the family of Aaron. So these guys were toting around stuff, essentially butchering stuff, and they did teach the word of God. But there was a subdivision of labor even among the, the, the Levites. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there was a representative, a mediatorial aspect to the priestly class. Um, God required, you remember the angel of death? What is it, Exodus 11 or 12? So the, the angel of death flies over uh, the, everyone in Egypt, and if he didn't see the blood on the door, he would take the firstborn. And the notion is, I think, the firstborn male. But he takes the firstborn. And then God later said to his people, now, because I didn't take the firstborn of the Israelites, there's a redemption price for them. So there's a ransom price for the firstborn. The Levites then took the place of the ransom price. And the notion is, these Levites are representative ransom payments. What's that principle? A representative ransom payment. What's that principle? It's a principle of, of the substitutionary atonement. It's a federal, a, 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 a covenantal concept. The representative pays for what the, the ones represented owe. That's this. The priests represent the guilty sinner. And they pay the ransom price. And that's our Christ. And I'm going to say this and quit. The warriors had a holy work. Everyone has holy work. These ministers have holy work. There was a, a pastor in my pastoral theology class, my professor, um, and he, he said this, and, and uh, it was many years ago, um, Bill Shishko, and he said, listen, if any of you guys become a minister, because it's not a guarantee, everybody thinks you go to seminary, you become a minister. Most guys that go to seminary don't ever become ministers. 
most guys make it an hour and a half because it's not it's just a difficult business but he said if you ever become a minister don't let other things take you away from your calling meaning the ministry of the word the ministry of the sacraments the ministry of prayer pastoring God's people and he specifically said and don't let the people co-opt you to be their representative for politics and I remember I was, a, I was an older young guy 36 I think and he said the reason is is because you make your living talking and politicians make their living talking is a very natural transition you will watch there's a guy on the radio I don't I know that I know he is but I won't say he is he's a local guy and he has a talk show every Friday He's a minister. Abraham Kuyper did this. I'm not picking on Kuyper, but Kuyper at least was honest. He put down the ministry and picked up the mantle of of government. I actually agree with that. Um, The Apostle Paul says, don't, to the minute, maybe I should read this and then we'll close with this. And I may may touch a nerve, but I, I think this is true. Paul says this, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach these also. Now, and this is the ministry. I'm just making an application to pastoral preaching ministry. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier, because you are a soldier. The first is a soldier fighting physical wars, and the minister is a soldier fighting spiritual wars on behalf of God's people. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, here's the principle, which I think is applicable from this. The dedicated priestly class. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The notion is you're dedicated to be a man of one thing and do that one thing. Labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. Labor with the word of the Lord Jesus. Am I against bivocational business? No, I'm not against that. But the notion is, as the minister of the word, what do you want him to serve to you? It should be the word. It should be the word. And as Protestants, and we're conservative Protestants, we all say, I want the word and nothing but the word. Can I say something and then I promise I'll be quiet? I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think we think we want the word and nothing but the word. But I know for a fact, for doing this for 22 years, you could give the word, the clear word, covered with 50 bags of sugar. And if it's a tough word, we don't really want that. We would like something else. But I'm supposed to be dedicated to this, to serve the good of your soul. So for, we are the priesthood of believers, but for the minister, he should be a man dedicated to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord's work, labor to be holy, devote himself wholly, H-W-H, holy, and, um, and not entangle himself in other things. Um, may God be pleased with the preaching of his word.